Recovery is stupendous. Achievable. Hope. Freedom. 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 Empowering. It's unique to everyone. It's a journey, not a destination. Getting a new lease on life. Finding restoration after you fall down. Recovery is having the freedom to enjoy life. For me, it was finding a way to really love myself. My recovery is possible in part because of my own sense of purpose. Welcome to another Recovery Talks podcast where we meet with different individuals and we talk about all things recovery and peer support. I'm your host today. My name is Mandy Nunes. And today we have a few special guests. Today we have four different members of our new family division. And we're going to be talking about family peer support today. Would you guys like to take a minute and introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, I'm Beth Ayers. I am the family peer support lead um, for MPN. I also provide family peer support at the Children's Clinic. Hi, I'm Janet Galaris, and I'm a family peer support at Southwest Montana Community Health Center. Hi, I'm Erin Faulkner. I live just outside of Great Falls, and I provide family peer support for uh, families that are coming out of Shodair Children's Hospital in Helena. Thank you guys so much for sharing who you are and, and where you work at. I'm really excited to have all of you on and kind of do a roundtable discussion where we get to do a little bit deeper dive into family peer support and what's that all about and how, um, what your roles look like and, and how and why you got into this industry and why you're doing, you know, what you're doing today. So the first kind of question that I want to ask, which I think is really important for those people listening to know, is what is family peer support and why is it important? Well, family peer support is when a parent or caregiver with their own lived experience raising a child with any sort of special health care needs, including behavioral health, um, goes through training and works with other families who are currently raising children with those same sort of um, special health care needs. We use our own lived experience to provide emotional support and connection to those to those current families. I got into this because my oldest was in and out of acute care, psychiatric hospitals um, for probably four or five years. And the whole time I felt like I was the only one walking through that. I didn't know anybody else who had experienced that. Um, I didn't know what was out there for help. And my friends and family just really couldn't understand either what we were going through. And so now that my children are older and their mental health has stabilized, I wanted to help those families that are currently walking through things that they, yeah, that they have no help with or don't have anyone that they can uh, relate to. Thanks, Beth. That that sounds like a very isolating experience, a very lonely experience, probably at times a very frustrating experience to, you know, have 
have your child going through this struggle, not really know how to support them, what the next step is, what does that look like at the hospital? What does that look like when the child gets released? Who do I talk to for support? Yeah, that sounds like a really powerful reason to, to see a gap and to wanna fill that gap and say, I don't want people to feel alone. I don't want people to feel alone. Exactly. I would add to with family care support. It's it's adding an experience to people's journeys by being able to communicate with them from a place of not only being able to talk the talk, like we've also walked the walk and the journey and um, yeah, really have our own personal um, struggles and our um, heartaches and our you know, times where we didn't know what to do next. And, um, and we'll still have that on our own journeys with our own children or our own mental health. Um, so I think it's, it's really cool that we can be there and offer that support, but also, um, you know, it's that transparency of talking to somebody also that I, and being honest with them that I also am not an expert in the field and I'm gonna hit a wall one of these days. And I'm gonna also need a peer, you know, to talk me through their experience or their journey if they've already been there or just, you know, um, from an emotional state of, I just need someone to talk to that understands what I'm even talking about. Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, I was thinking, uh, getting ready for this podcast, and I was thinking about that word peer. And some of the things that I thought about were like the difference between sympathize and empathize. And so a lot of people in our lives can sympathize with us what we're going through, but it's the peer that's able to empathize by saying, yeah, I, that's happened to me too. I, I experienced that same thing. And my story actually isn't just about my daughter and having a, you know, um, having a peer that can understand what I went through raising her with a special healthcare need, but also myself as having some health needs and, and wearing hearing aids. And so when I grew up in a public school, I never knew anybody who was the same as me. Nobody else that had hearing aids. I was all alone. Nobody could understand when I was like, oh, my battery just died and now I can't hear very well. Or understand when that I can I can hear something but that's not the same as understanding what you said you know there was just some of these things that nobody else could understand and then when I went to college to study deaf education I went to Minot North Dakota and there were a lot of other people that were the same as me they went into that field because they were also hard of hearing also were hearing aids and it was the first time I actually had peers peers people that actually understood what it was like for the battery to die or you know to not understand but hear parts of it to have to try to have um, what we call closure figure out what somebody said um without actually hearing the whole thing and so that was huge that idea of that peer that really understands is just huge for me i have a daughter with cerebral palsy and a son that we are testing for autism and i remember when she was younger and we we're fighting for her educational rights and her human rights and her disability rights there 
there weren't many people that could answer my questions. I couldn't, I couldn't get my questions answered. I couldn't gain enough knowledge. And finally, between fighting with, you know, all of them and, and learning the process and studying the process, it was a way for me to advocate for my daughter. And I wish I would have had more peer support at the time. Um, I was lucky enough to be taken in by a group that was the buddy system in Bozeman, Montana with kids with Down syndrome. And so it's just really helpful to have somebody else that knows what you're going through, that has the lived experience and can listen to you and understand you because families don't always understand what you're talking about or what you're going through, but people that have the lived experience do, and they can sympathize and empathize with you. So it's it's really helpful. Um, a lot of times it can be very isolating because there aren't many people out there that are going through the same things. And having a family peer support and somebody to talk to you, listen to you and support you is just a wonderful thing that has come around. And um, Sometimes we don't always like to, um, it, it's not a burden to our families, but we don't always want to come off like we're complaining about what's going on and what we're having to talk about and what we're having to fight with. And, you know, because there's always a battle, you know, when you have a physical disability to, you know, constantly keeping up with the surgeries, constantly keeping up with IEPs every year. And then you have co-occurring diseases, um, you have behavioral health issues because of the frustration of the disability. And you're trying to conquer all of these things and having a peer support that can listen to you and talk to you and give you suggestions and, and point you in the right direction makes a world of difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, Jana. I think Beth and Aaron and Jana just shared a little bit too about, you know, what prompted them to get into this field. Kayla, would you mind sharing a little bit about your story and what brought you, what brought you into your role here at MPN and why you, why you want to be a family peer support specialist? Yeah, absolutely. So I, me personally, I have my own diagnosis that I got, I received about a year ago with um, ADHD. So all my life I've had, my younger brother has ADHD. So he was my example of what ADHD looked like. And so finding that out about myself in the last year uh, has been, it's been a journey. And now I'm starting to unpack things from my childhood and my past that make a lot more sense now that I have this, my own diagnosis. And, you know, I've struggled with anxiety and depression and yeah, but my youngest son, so <clears throat> when he was, um, after his second birthday, he, he hit all of his milestones and he was a typical child, um, at every well visit that we went to, he, you know, he met all of the markers that they give you the checklist and, and then, yeah, a little bit after his second birthday, 
I just started to notice he was not acting like himself. All of the words that I knew that he knew were just kind of uh, disappearing in, in thin air. And I was, I was scared and I was, I felt like I failed him as his mother. And he just, he, one minute was one, uh, one kid and then the next, a different kid faster than I could even process what was happening. And so uh, through, uh, through that journey, my persistence, um, cause there wasn't many people to talk to about what was happening with him. Um, so I reached out to organizations and I got in contact with ECI and they did a, an evaluation with him and I started working with them. And that was a little bit more insight to what was happening. Someone actually putting a word to what was happening with my son. And so uh, we got on a waiting list to see Dr. Nicholson here in Billings. She's the She's the one at the children's clinic at the time that was um, doing the diagnosis process or being able to, you know, once again, put a name with what was happening with my child from a, a clinical standpoint. And he was later diagnosed with um, autism, sensory processing disorder, and recently anxiety. So yeah, he at that time he was two and a half, three years old, and now he's going to be seven in June. Um, and it's been, it's been quite the ride, but he's, he's amazing and he's thriving and he's, he's doing really, really well. So I, I kind of have a couple of different lived in experiences with, in the family support role, I guess you could say, but yeah, but Bryce has always been, or Bryce, my son has been my biggest how do you, how would I say this? He's been my biggest obstacle as a mom or in, in this life when you, when you love your kids so, so much, and then they just, you worry about them, but then you can see all of the good things that they have to offer, but the world can't see that because they have a very biased opinion about people that are different than them. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's, it's also opened. I mean, I've always been a very like empathetic and kind human being, but just like the rest of the world, I, you know, it, it's hard to, to empathize with people that are different than you because you don't want to say the wrong thing. You don't want to offend them. And I think through family care support, we can really help people understand what it's like to raise children with special special health care needs and talk about it in a from a trans being very transparent while we talk about it I think makes it more real and relatable and it maybe doesn't wouldn't feel so scary for people to ask questions and so I feel like it's kind of both while I'm being the best advocate that I can be for my son I'm also encouraging other parents to be the best advocate for their kids, but offering them that emotional support that when they don't feel like they're doing a good job or they've hit another barrier. So offering them that safe place to be like, this sucks and this is hard and I feel lost and I feel alone. And so giving them the space to actually be able to say those things because we all feel it and think it. 
but we're trying to be the best advocates for our own children. So it's, it's really, it's really nice to be able to offer that to people, but then it's also good for me to hear other people have the same feelings, struggles, emotions, and being able to relate to them as well. So really peer support. I feel like, um, it's really kind of a circular thing that we offer to the families that we work with, but then also they offer stuff back to us in our own world and our own journeys. Absolutely. Yeah. I would definitely say that peer support is, it's mutually beneficial, right? Just because I might be the peer supporter, I still gain something from my interactions. One of the things that I that I hear from you is the stigma that kind of goes along with parenting children with special health care needs, children with behavioral health needs, children that are a little bit different than, you know, the, the typical child. And I think that's something that, you know, we deal with a lot with, you know, as peer supporters with substance use and mental health too, right? How trying to navigate trying to navigate the world through through stigmatizing beliefs that society has and through you know our own fear and our own bias that we might have and one of the things that i think is really beautiful about what each of you are doing and in the families that you guys are able to support is i don't just see everybody on the screen right now my son has autism or my daughter has autism, right? There's this variety of these special health care needs. You guys are supporting a variety of families with different types of health care needs and behavioral health care needs. And I think that helps to reduce some of that stigma a little bit too. It's not so siloed that this is for physical disability or this is we support for developmental disability. We support for behavioral health challenges. You guys really open yourselves up to support these families regardless of what that special health challenge might be. Have you found that from an emotional standpoint or like the caregiver standpoint that the type of feelings and support and fears that those, you know, things that those families are going through are similar, regardless of what the healthcare need is? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think the basis of what we all feel at the end of the day, that we aren't doing a good job, that we drop the ball in an area. As parents, I think we all are juggling so many different things every single day. And then parenting is hard as it hard enough as it is being a parent alone is hard enough and then then you add these intense layers of you know it even anxiety alone is its own really um broad spectrum and then autism alone is this really big you know broad spectrum and then you just keep adding those different things that people go through in their lives that are you know, they're hard to process and they're hard to talk about and they're hard to be transparent about because you want to put on a brave face and say, oh no, I got this. But I think 
I think it's important that we're talking about it, that we're, that the conversations are starting and people are becoming a lot better at opening up and sharing what it actually is to have your own struggles with mental health or your own diagnosis or, and then your, and then your children, I think it needs to move from a place that's not been just like being in recovery. People I think are scared to even, you know, the conversations right now are very surface layer. And I think that's the thing that's unique about peer support in general is that we don't have surface layer conversations. We go deep. We dive deep. We ask the questions. We aren't scared to, to ask the question and say, how are, how are you actually? And tell me more about what it is that you're feeling and um, where are you, we're really meeting them where they're at that day when we're talking to them. I, I think it's just important that it's being talked about. So one of, so I work at the show there and with the families that are going through some genetic testing for their children and sometimes testing on themselves to find out if things are hereditary, where things came from, but, and some are just trying to figure out what's happening and that not knowing is, is oftentimes the hardest part more than actually getting a diagnosis. And so one of the words that I use a lot when I'm talking to families or I have when, when they're have in that, I don't know what's going on is that sense of validation. And that was something that I experienced um, as when I was 24, I went to Shodair myself and said, all right, I'm hard of hearing. I have eye problems and I have some joint pain. There's gotta be something going on here. It's gotta be connected. And so I was finally at 24 diagnosed with a connective tissue disorder. And for me, that validation that there was something going on um, especially growing up with, you know, being isolated, feeling left out, having gym teachers that said I was lazy and out of shape because I couldn't do stuff, you know, and because I had no diagnosis. Um, and then that leads into the second part where we talk a lot about labeling. And I think that, that the idea of having a label in some, for some people, it's that attached to the stigma, right? And it's a negative thing. Um, and so we often talk about that label doesn't have to be broadcast out anywhere if you don't want it to. Um, a label can get you services, which is a nice thing, which is oftentimes why people want one. Because, you know, if I have a diagnosis of autism, my child does, I can get some services that wouldn't necessarily be available. For me, when I grew up, you know, I didn't want to label myself or have people know necessarily that I was hard of hearing as I was growing up. So there was a lot of the hair is down, I'm hiding it. Um, but as I got older, I realized that they're making their own opinions about me. Because if I don't answer them when they talk to me, they could be thinking, oh, well, she's stuck up. Oh, well, you know, she's, she's ignoring me. So she's not a very nice person. So then it got to where I want that to be known right away. I don't want people to think something about me that isn't true. And so then that became part of my, how I, you know, introduce myself to new coworkers. It's not everybody I meet, but just people that I'm going to, you know, be with for, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis. I want them to know, hey, I wear hearing aids. If you try to, sometimes I have them turned off. If you try to get my attention, you know, just know that that might be why. I want to determine 
and help decide their perspective of me, what they're going to think about me. And I think so that was some of that, that validation and labeling are some of those things that I really um, connect with families about. Thank you, Erin. So in that <clears throat> labeling or, or diagnosis, um, you know, Erin shared there's definitely some potential benefits to having a diagnosis or benefits to the, to those labels. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot of fear and discomfort that goes along with getting a diagnosis and with not having one, like she shared that not being validated, something's wrong, but I don't know what it is. So are you guys able to only work with families with a diagnosis? Are you able to support families in the process? Do you need that label or diagnosis? So sometimes we work with children that may have developmental disabilities. They're not diagnosed. They just aren't progressing as a child their age would be progressing. And so we can walk them through the steps, you know, if they're not meeting their their goals as, as they're supposed to reach their goals to crawl, to sit up, to walk, to, to you know, um, play to do those sorts of things then we can start talking to them about you know well what other things can you do as a parent to try and um see how you can meet those goals sometimes it might be physical therapy or occupational therapy or directing them to <clears throat> early child um, head start programs those sorts of things so sometimes when they're when they have a don't have a diagnosis yet they have developmental delays and so we can help those parents walk through that and then the other thing is we always have to remember that every child's unique and different and um, it's celebrating the little victories and, and some people might feel that it's so silly because I'm excited because my daughter could you know start picking up you know, pennies and putting them into a jar. But that was a big victory. Um, sitting up on her own where she could do it for one minute. That was a huge goal. And, and they may seem like very simple little things, but we worked hard and we worked long and to, to reach those goals. And so having um, family peer support and other families out there to reach out to, to celebrate those little victories in life that you make is just so wonderful because they really get it. I love that. I love that there's not that limit of you have to have a diagnosis in order to receive our support. And I love that you're talking about celebrating the victories, right? Family peer support isn't only about the struggles and the challenges and the isolation. It's also about somebody to share those wins with, somebody who understands why this thing, whatever it might be, that may seem so small to another family, why it's so important to this one. I love that. Um, speaking of wins, are you guys willing to share 
little pieces about what is your favorite part of family peer support job? I think my favorite part is talking to other families and they're going through similar things and watching them follow the path, whatever their path may be, because everybody's is different and watching them reach their goals and to be there when sometimes a goal isn't reached also. And, and to keep encouraging them and to keep trying new things and to remember that we all have different diagnoses and it's the little things that we do that make a difference. It, it doesn't have to be like, well, this year, by the end of the year, my daughter's going to run. You know, that might be a goal for 10 years from now. And it's how we can do things differently so they can experience everything that everybody else can do, but maybe a little bit differently. I think my favorite part about this is being able to use our struggles and hardships and the small wins that we do go through with our own children or in our own in our own journeys as parents and taking those you know things that we could sit and dwell on and be sad for ourselves and and wallow in the the heart you know the struggles and we could have that mindset and and we're choosing to use our stories for good and to talk about to talk about it in a in a sense of yes this is my story but i'm now using my story and what i experienced in my life for good to help other families do the same do the same thing so i i really think it's it kind of puts a different spin on hardships and struggles and and you know obviously i didn't picture being a mom to a child that had as you know a a diagnosis like autism I have embraced it and I'm, you know, we're, we're moving in, we're moving and grooving through life. And, um, I think if you, if you choose to sit and dwell in the, you know, yes, it's good to talk about your struggles and get them out of your, you know, mind and your body, because that's, it's, it's healthy to do, but also really, really kind of changing the narrative of like, it's not the end of the world. It's not a prison sentence. Um, and, and really trying to teach and help other families understand that this, if you look at it in a, you know, yes, talk about the things that you're feeling in those moments, but then to try to change the mindset of it being like, let's look at the positives and let's talk about the, let's talk about this in a sense of like, even though this is not what I pictured my life looking like, this is my life and I'm going to embrace it and I'm going to keep moving forward and, and, and yeah, celebrating even those small, small wins. If we change the mindset of being, looking at it more from a positive lens instead of a, a negative, um, I think it could really change the overall stigma of having something, whether even if you don't have a diagnosis or, you know, you're like Aaron was saying, if you're feeling something like is off with you or your, your child, um, I, I think it'll, I think it'll really take that stigma away from 
it being this like, oh, don't tell anybody I have, you know, anxiety or don't tell, but, but why, why not say I have anxiety and people need to be more patient with you when you're saying I'm feeling really anxious and overwhelmed right now, even just that alone, being able to say that out loud and, and stand in your, in your power and being able to communicate and advocate for yourself or your children, and then showing other families that they can do the same or other other peers that are going through the same thing. I think it's really going to change the change the mold on how people, you know, look at these things as this like big, scary, like, uh, you know, and just like offering a like, they're, they're there. I don't, I don't know what to do with you. And it being this weird box, I think parents of children with a disability feel like we're in where it's like, this isolating box that we're all in and we're like, it's not that scary. Like, come, you know, come talk to us about it. And I just think this is, this is the thing that's making me the most excited is being able to use our stories to help educate, to, um, to really push advocacy. Um, and also maybe it just, maybe it won't feel so scary to the rest of the world if, if we're embracing it and talking about it. I totally agree, Kayla. Um, I think that part of what I love about this work is when I'm talking to a mom and they're explaining the situation or how they feel, and I interject a little bit of what I can relate to, and you're just that instant connection and that like, yes, you get it. You get, I don't have to spend hours explaining all of this to you. You just get it. I love that part. Yeah. I love looking at the world. I think in this profession and as I think for myself, having children with special health care needs or behavioral health needs has been very humbling to me because I can't change it and I can't fix it. And oftentimes people on the outside looking in think that we're just not doing a good job. So there's all of that. And so really being able to look at the world and look at each other as we really are just all doing the best we can. And how can I support you? How can I help you is a really good place, I think, to view the world from. I also... um remember when a friend of mine through this process sent me a card that told me that I was a good mom and just how much relief from that I got and how much I needed to hear that and so I love being able to talk to families and say you are doing a good job you are a good mom you are a good father you know um that's that's probably you know that's probably the favorite part for me I totally agree with that, Beth. Um, and to add to that, um, I, it, when I get to the end of a phone call and we're kind of finishing it and they say, I feel better, but that really helped. I mean, then I know I've done something today, you know, like, and so that connects with what you were saying and stuff is that, yeah, you, you've done a good job. And I think that is what they need to hear. And that's what separates us as peer supporters from other kind of providers is we're giving that type of feedback to the families that they need to hear versus, okay, you need to go do this and this and this, or this is what's wrong. That's a, a good way to explain it. Yeah. I, I have a question for you guys. Cause I'm just like listening to all of us kind of say 
like she was asking us at the very beginning about like, do you guys find that all of you guys have the same or the families are saying the same things to you guys? I think, I, I don't know, it's just interesting hearing us all kind of add to this conversation. I think at the end of the day, and tell me if I'm wrong, do you guys feel like you're being, being like the person or the, the conversation to others that you, that you wish you would have had during those struggles? Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's yeah. like the biggest takeaway is I think sometimes, yeah, I'm trying, we're, I think all trying to be what we didn't get and we can be better and like, well, I didn't, you know, I wish I would have had that. Yes. I, I do wish I would have had that, but I don't know. It's just interesting. I was just listening to all of us kind of add to the conversation. And I feel like that was like the biggest thing that I just even realized myself is I think we're all just trying to be, yeah, the person that we wish we would have had in our lives when we were going yeah. through all of that. Yeah. I Absolutely. I, I think a lot of what you guys have said also reminds me of behavioral health peer support and, you know, the kind of things that I said and thought and felt um, when I became a certified behavioral health peer support specialist, Kayla talked about it a lot that I I'm was able to and am able to take this, um, my struggle, my story, and there's a lot of s- stigma involved with that too. This thing that, you know, people try to hide about their themselves. I'm not proud of this part of my life. I'm not proud of the dark parts of myself, but man, I wouldn't be where I'm at today if it wasn't for all of those pieces. Like I get to take the hardest parts of my life and I get to use those to help other people, right? It becomes, it becomes my testimony. It becomes the hope that we share with the people that we're supporting. And I think that's one of the things that's, you know, beautiful and kind of universal, even between family peer support and and behavioral health peer support is we're taking our own lived experience and we are using that to provide support and to create hope, right? For families that, um, or people that maybe in a spot where they don't have a lot of hope right now, they have a lot of fear and confusion and, and stress and isolation. The other thing that what Kayla was talking that um, made me think of too was, you know, we have these stories and even though our lives may not have unfolded and um, become the lives that we once thought that they would be, whether, whether this is my recovery story or your family story, it doesn't mean it can't still be beautiful. Even though it's not the way I once thought that it would, when we're able to, to have that support and have that hope and change our perspective just a little bit, it doesn't mean that it's not still beautiful and wonderful. My child may not be, be perfect or, you know, be typical me doesn't mean that they're not smart and beautiful and, you know, courageous and fun. And, um, yeah, I, I love, I love what you guys are doing. I love to see how this is unfolding. 
in your communities and how this division, the family division, is unfolding here at MPN and the bonds that I see um, you guys creating together and us all creating together as an organization and the work that we that we're all doing in our community to raise this to raise the awareness i was going to ask what types of families do you all work with but i feel like i know the answer to this and i feel like it's most any all right that you kind of see all different things in the work that you're doing is that accurate yeah absolutely we talked a lot about the favorite parts what would you say is the hardest part what's the hardest part of being a family peer supporter i think the hardest part for me about this work is probably the hardest part that was that i had in raising children is that there's just times i can't change things i can't fix things um, it is very hard for me to talk to a family and yeah, just not be able to, you know, fix it for them or change things for them. But it also shows me how powerful just walking with somebody is and just hearing them that, no, I can't fix it and I can't change it. And sometimes there's not resources and sometimes there's not support out there for it but I can just sit there and hear them and walk through it. So I think that's the biggest challenge, but then also a really good learning experience too, is that I don't have to be able to fix it for somebody. I just need to be able to sit with them. Yeah, we, um, and I knew it too going in. Um, I knew that the hardest thing for me would be wanting to help somebody or to be there for them or for them to feel safe to open up to me um, and make that connection where they feel safe. But um, we were just talking in a meeting. Um, Jim said to us that the, you know, the system has done something to all of our minds where we know that people we're just a number when we call on a phone or call an organization or a doctor's office or a um, and, and they also have, you know, in their profession, we understand that they have, you know, a busy schedule. We get all of that, but when we're struggling and need, you know, answers or to have a conversation on a, on the phone about what kind of appointment do I need, you know, yada, yada, yada. The system has trained us that we, they don't want to hear our emotions and feelings and, um, they want to just like get to the point, let's make the appointment or, um, you know, that surface layer conversation, even when you're face to face with the person you've been waiting to talk to. And um, I think that that's the hardest thing is because, because that's how, you know, society is that when you get on the phone with some of these families, that's just what they're conditioned to and used to. And so you can feel like, even on the phone with them, you can feel this like barrier where they're just like, uh-huh, cool. Thank you. Oh yeah. Like you're just another person that's coming into my world. That's not going to be able to help, to help me. You know, they think it's this, um, 
you know, I don't, I don't know if it's, it's personal to everybody's journey, but yeah, I think the, it's hard for me to hear that barrier over the phone. I know that sounds weird, but I can, you can literally hear it. And you're just like trying to find that like little inch where you can get them to engage with you. And when they're just, when they're just not going to, because, because they've been disappointed. What that tells me is they've been disappointed and let down over and over and over again. Yeah. So it's like, that's hard for me because I'm like, I just want to help you. And I want to listen to, cause I know what we're doing and it's so powerful and great and amazing. And I want everybody to experience it, but you got to meet people yeah. where they're at. So, and sometimes that's just where people are, that's just where they're at. So. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, I, I mean, I think to some degree that guardedness I, I agree that we become trained kind of throughout our life, right? That this is like societal standards and expectations working with systems of care, whether it's mental health or, you know, primary care, you, you get used to like, this is what I need to have happen. This is who I need to talk to. This is the appointment I need to make. These are the facts. Like these are my symptoms or my child's symptoms, right? And it is seldom, um, you know, really emotion-based, we've become guarded. And I think, I imagine, I mean, my children also have behavioral health diagnoses, um, but not, they weren't traumatic experiences for me, but I imagine some of the families that you're working with, these experiences for them, your child's diagnosis of autism, realizing that your son, Kayla, um, all of a sudden you said like his words that he, they, things were just gone. I imagine that that is traumatic. And I imagine that having these kind of traumatic experiences makes you even more guarded, right? It's like a protective factor. I know that I have to deal with all of these appointments and get all of this information. And so in order to protect my emotional self and my spiritual self, I have to put my wall up so that I can cope with the factual information that I'm getting and not fall apart in the doctor's office. So I imagine it's hard. Yeah. I'm not trying to put anybody on blast in these like doctor's offices or, you know, therapists or counselors. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, but I think it is a, as you know, it's just how our society runs. It's not anybody's fault, fault. but it, we become so numb to actual, you know, having an actual conversation with people because there's, you know, there's so many forms of, of technology that we can just disappear to in our minds or, you know, get lost in. And I think that's really what we've lost as a society as well is just being able to have a conversation. So yeah, I'm not trying, I'm not trying to put anybody on blast because I know people in a lot of these organizations or therapists or doctors that they also have really good hearts and they're coming from a good place. It's just how our society is ran day to day. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, we armor up. Yeah. Aaron. One thing that's hard for me, and I think it's hard about the profession, you know, it being a family care supporter is the idea of support. Cause I think that oftentimes when people are being referred to us, it's so that we can help them get the resources that they need. And from my background as a formal family support specialist, that's what I used to do, right? Oh, I'm hearing what you need. So I'm going to help offer that to you. And I think that that means that I'm not connecting with the families in the way that 
they're needing. So I'm hearing this and my mind is going to, okay, resource, resource, instead of just hearing them and saying, you know, and doing that um, connecting, I understand what you're going through. I've been there. And so I think that's something that, you know, I really need to change for myself to make uh, me a better family peer supporter. But I also think it's about what the providers need to understand about our role so that when they do that referral, that's what the families are expecting when they get the call from us. And I had a family who needed, she was in a, I need some help support. Like I, it was a housing situation and I was able to offer a few ideas. It didn't, it didn't help. She wasn't able to fix her problem, but actually in that moment, because I was there and I, and we, we, we actually were able to form a connection because of it. So sometimes that can help. And so then she actually now starts calling and saying, Hey, I need to tell you something. I need to talk to you. And that was really huge. So, but support, being able to think of it, switch my thinking from, I'm going to help you with supports to, I'm going to listen to you and I'm going to be there for you. I love that. Thank you all so much for everything that you have shared, for opening up and being vulnerable, for sharing your personal stories about why peer support is important and why why you wish you would have had someone like you in your life, you know, when you needed them and how important the work that you're doing is in our communities and in our state. Yeah. I'm just really grateful that all of you came on and were able to open up. Well, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for joining us on another recovery talks podcast. If you have any ideas about a podcast topic, or if you would like to be a guest on one of our podcasts, feel free to shoot me an email at mandy at mtpeernetwork.org. Thanks and have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Thanks, Mandy. Thanks, Mandy. Thank you. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works. Recovery is possible. Recovery is possible. (laughs) Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery is possible.